Today on the Dolby Institute podcast, the music of Oppenheimer. Joining us is Emmy and Academy Award-winning composer Ludwig Göransson, who was on our podcast last year to talk about his work on Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Conducting this interview is our guest host and noted journalist, John Burlingame, who's been covering music for film and television for Variety, The New York Times, and now the Dolby Institute. Take it away, John. We're delighted to have with us today the composer of Oppenheimer. His award shelf already includes an Oscar for Black Panther, two Emmys for The Mandalorian, and three Grammys, two of which are for his work as part of Childish Gambino. Welcome, Ludwig Göransson. Thank you, John. Always great to be here. Always great to see you. Great to see you too, man. Um, you'd previously done Tenet with Chris Nolan. Directors differ, I think, in their view of and their use of music. I wonder if you can tell me how sensitive he is to the use of music in film. Chris has a crystal clear mind of what he's trying to do and what he wants to do and what he wants to achieve. And I think that goes for, I think, all the departments, I think. I mean, and obviously we all know how important music is in Chris movies and how it's almost a character in itself. But also I think what's so special about Chris is that he's also always, he's very open-minded to my point of view, my input, my ideas. And we can have that back and forth and use that as a springboard to push boundaries. So when did he reach out to you about Oppenheimer? I wonder if you saw a script or maybe just talked with him about the project before you started composing? Absolutely. Um, well, after Tenet, we, we kept in touch. We saw some movies. We talked about film. We talked about music. But he never really, but during that time, he never hints at what he's doing. You know, it's, it's kind of a little secretly, uh, secretively in, in that kind of way. Um, so you, you do get the phone call out of the blue. It's like, hey, you want to read the script tomorrow? I'm not going to tell you what it's about, but you can show up at this time and you can read it. So, so you don't have any ideas of what it's going to be like. So, um, and that's also very exciting to go into a, a project like that. So is that what happened? You were called in and you got a chance to read the script and then did you guys get together? Exactly. Yeah. I read the script. Uh, I was immediately kind of floored by how it was different than anything I've ever read before, you know, specifically reading it out of feeling like you're, you're, you are Oppenheimer, you're feeling everything through his point of view. And it struck me pretty early on. That's what the music needs to do as well. Like you need to channel the whole spectrum of his feelings and what he's going through and put the audience in his clothes and, and, and his emotional journey. So that was the first, you know, take back I had from, from the script. Did Chris have any specific ideas about what he thought should be music in the film? He had one idea, and that was to use the violin, the solo violin, to portray Oppenheimer. Did he say why? Uh, yeah, he, he was he was because violin as a fretless instrument, you can go from playing a, a really beautiful romantic tone, and within a split second, you change the intensity of the vibrato and the pressure of your right arm, right arm, the note, and you can make it into something neurotic, horrific and manic within just a split of a second. And I thought that was extremely interesting and exciting. And then also 
my wife and, and partner Serena Gorenson is an incre- incredible performer and violinist. So, you know, I, I took that idea back to the studio and I started to record her and we started to work together on, on creating these kind of um, these, these you know, violin experiments that I would call it. How much time did you have to experiment before you sort of needed to dive in fully and try to come up with themes and other ideas? We had three months of experimenting and writing, coming up with the sonic landscape of the score, um, which I say, which I would call pre-production because it's literally pre-production before Chris Nolan goes off to shoot. So then, so for those three months, I meet up with Chris once a week at his house. We listen to the music. We talk about, we analyze the instruments, we analyze the sound, we talk about what's interesting and we do that every week. And, and so when he takes off the shoot, he has about three hours of music that, we, that we've been working on. Oh, so you had, you had actually written and, 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 uh, and created three full hours of music even before shooting started. Exactly, yeah. So he has these ideas already in his head when he's shooting. And sometimes I, you know, I get a call, it's like, hey, I'm thinking about this piece. Can we add some tension here? Or can, we, you know, or can you change the ending so it ends in an in a up? words feeling or in a you know positive note or um so then the work doesn't end even though he's off shooting and then but then the real job begins when he comes back and he start he goes into the edit bay and he sits there with jennifer lame and they start putting together the, the movie and they put together the the scenes and they already put my music in those scenes from what we already written so when i see the first cut it's already or has all my music in it Yeah, so there's no temporary music from anybody else or any other project. It's your music for this project. Yeah, and it's a it feel it makes everything feel like it's you know it's a new world. We're and we're already entering a new world, and and that's I think one of the magics of um, of, of a director that that knows how to use music and how important that is. You know, the film it seems to me is unusual in that it's an epic story, and yet at the same time, it's the most intimate story of a scientist and his work and his relationships. Did you somehow need to convey both sides of that in what you were doing? Absolutely. Yeah, it goes from a it goes from an intimate personal journey to I would say like a, a, a operatic um piece, you know, and 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 the dynamics that you have to you have to go through with and we also using we also using the dynamics between one solo violin, four violins, you know, whole string orchestra. There's the, there's a great scene in the movie where you see Oppenheimer having a, a, a his first class, and you see one. There's in the beginning, there's one class, one person coming in, and you have one solo violin. There's four people coming in, there's four more violins coming in, and then the whole class is sitting there, and you have the whole orchestra playing. So is that in, in that sense, it's it's fairly literal in terms of, <laughs> the, of the string section and the class. Yes, at times it, it is very literal. And there's there's another scene in the movie where you see the the atoms swirling around, you know, yes. and, and that was one of the first visuals that Chris Nolan showed me. Um, I I went I had an early screen test. He invited me into the IMAX theater, and I sit there in this dark room and I see, and I get hit in the face by these fluorescent lights and this these visual graphics that was just taking me. It was it had a big impact on me, and I was 
thinking to myself, like, this is what I want the music to sound like. And it was also a scary thought, but because I knew I wanted to do it analog, you know, I didn't want to use too many computers for that. And how can I get that tempo and that energy and in with, with live instrumentation? And that was one of the big challenges. Is it possible to encapsulate a complex personality in music? I mean, I, I, it seems to me that the thing, one of the most impressive things about the film is that we see every aspect of Oppenheimer's personality, both his career and his, and his own personal life. Um, are there aspects of his personality that require different themes or different sounds? Yes. Um, like, just like you said, I, I knew that the essence of the score had to be, yeah, we had to focus the, on the emotional core of the music. That's the first couple of months I was only writing music for organic instruments, like the strings, piano, harp, solo violin. Because I knew that if we got that right, we could always later on infuse it with the synthesizers and the modern project production. And in this case, that's also the trajectory of the movie. The synthesizers get slowly and slowly growing into the story, almost like an impending doom. You bring up the synthesizers and that I, I was fascinated by how they came in and when and what purpose they serve. I sometimes wondered do the synths, uh, or I should say, you know, perhaps more electronic, uh, more electronically generated music, are they for a specific element in the story? Um, you know, it seems too simplistic to say, well, the strings are for the people and the synths are for um, the research or most mm -hmm. uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the, the place. Yeah, no, uh, that, that's 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 interesting. I, I, I feel like to to me that the way it's channeled is is that the sense to me feel like it's the future. It's the impending doom that he. I feel like he already. You can already sense it in him in the beginning. That's why it's, it's just introduced slightly in the beginning. But then, you know, when the whole second act starts, you know that up until that time, it's all been theory. It's all ideas. It's all scribbles on a paper. But then in the second act, when you have the real physical product of the bomb, you know, they're hoising it up in the air. You're seeing like people, they're like, okay, shit, this, this could, they could actually destroy the whole human race. The music takes a crazy shift there and goes from like this lush organic musical landscape to just three sounds, you know, one of thumping bass. Um, and then one kind of nuclear reactor kind of sound, a scratching sound on the speakers. And then this little, little metallic ticking. This just makes you feel like, okay, this is the ticking clock here. I have to wonder what it was like for you as the composer when you first saw those scenes of the atomic bomb as it first happened uh, in 1945. Um, and I wonder, you know, because if those were actually physically created effects, if you actually got to see what the final version was fairly early on. It was fascinating, especially to, to be there and see how they were making these visual effects and how I think with a lot of Chris's movies and, and also this one, you know, it's, it's, it is a period piece. And it was important to me, like, okay, are we, we going to use some instrumentation from that time era? 
but I also want to do it in a way it can have been done. And that's, I think, when things become timeless. And I think with 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 how the bomb was created, you know, they're not using CGI; they're using you know analog real effects. And that that doesn't, you know, you can't put a timestamp on that. You can't say, oh, this was created five years ago on on that computer. You know, this is this feels timeless. And um, and I feel also feel in that moment when 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 everything is just building up until that explosion. You know, I I, I can just imagine that the 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 use of silence in that scene was in Chris's head while he was writing the movie. Well, and, and that I thought was terribly terribly impressive because yeah. when it happens. We don't hear any music. Yeah. And then it sort of, it feels like it sort of creeps in slowly afterwards. And I just yeah. wondered if you guys had talked at length about that moment. I, I, that, that, I, we didn't, that, we didn't meet in discussion. It was, it wasn't even a, we didn't even need to have that discussion. <laughs> the other question I had about getting to that point is do you treat the black and white scenes any differently mm-hmm. than the color scenes? Because it's really, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's a kind of objective point of view and it's Oppenheimer's point of view. And I wonder if you could yes. talk about whether that needed any kind of different approach. Absolutely. Yeah, we do. We do change the instrumentation in, the, in those scenes. We go, the straw sounds are roads and it's harp. And we're kind of changing, you know, it's, it's kind of the mystery of his character. You know, in the beginning, you feel like, oh, they're, you know, they, they're going to be good friends. There is, this is an ally, you know, but then, you know, we, you want to keep some of the suspense and some of the mystery to the reveal later on. Um, but that was definitely a, a, a creative uh, decision that we made to change the, the, the tone of the music, just like we do on some of the other characters. It's so interesting because that's we're talking about Robert Downey Jr.'s character. Yeah. When we first meet him, we don't realize that he's essentially going to be eventually turning into a kind of villain. Um, and so it's the sort of ambiguity of it all, I think, is is uh, is kind of impressive. Yeah. And that that's one of the great things about when we, when I work with Chris, you know, we that that scene when they first meet, that was something we did towards the end. How we because it, we always we always had that kind of sense of mystery in the beginning, too. But then we were like. Hmm, let's go back and tackle this first meeting. Like, like they're just, you know, they're 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 about to be good friends. You know, like you know, this kind of almost romantic feel to it. What about Kitty Oppenheimer's wife, uh, played by Emily Blunt? Uh, did she need music of her own? Did she need a different sound or or a color, perhaps? Absolutely. Um, you know, Oppenheimer and Jane Jane Tatlock. You know, they have. You know, Gene Tatlock's theme is is very much shadowed through Oppenheimer's music because I, and that's the that's the mistress that he has exactly uh, at various times his lover and and because I think he sees so much of himself in her, so that's why his his musical elements like almost blend into her character. So, so for Kitty, we needed something completely different because she's she's something she is her own powerhouse i mean she calls him on his bullshit so so we needed her her theme and her music is portrayed by by this beautiful light kind of piano motif beginning you know 
it's just some chords in the beginning but then through her journey and through how uh, her character breaks out in the end on the last kind of testifying when she's testifying you know it, it goes into using the whole piano with the symphonic solo violin and solo cello and it blooms out in this big beautiful piece of music you know the film makes clear that this was a very complicated man who became a hero and then was torn down by the very government that he served you know those later scenes in which he's essentially uh, put on trial and publicly mm -hmm. ruined how did they need to be treated musically yeah that that was very interesting because chris almost treated it like an action film that third the whole third act the trial it's if that 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 music he wanted he wanted it to feel like a like a, like we're scoring an action film, and I thought that was a very interesting idea. He 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 told me first he didn't even he told me they were editing that that whole scene and it was about twenty five minutes long in the beginning, so he asked me to just write a twenty five twenty five piece of uh twenty five minute piece of music, and uh, that was had that propeller and pro propelling story to the arc to the music and with a lot of um intensity so i did that i sent that to him he started cutting that into into the trial he sent that back to me and i wrote a 20 minute piece and i sent that to him and then so it was like it was a lot of back and forth and massaging until we came down to like the 30 minute scene that it now is but but i think it was a very interesting way of tackling that as an action set piece is it possible to describe oppenheimer's theme in words how would you describe it Mm, I would say it's it has it definitely has this sense of haunting loneliness to it and also like the way I think with Serena is playing it with just this kind of like um it's it feels like hauntingly melancholic to me um and when you hear it on the solo violin that's in its purest form and that's really who it is But then you have a lot of time to it when it grows and it gets played by the synth, it gets played by this whole string orchestra, and it takes on different shapes. But it has it it it, it has this haunting loneliness to it that I think um, embodies his, his character because uh, I I feel like he not a lot of people really understands him. Are there subsidiary themes for some of the other characters? There's a you have this kind of um, I would call it like Americana type of theme for Groves. It's like this kind of positive. It's it's very different from anything else in the movie because it they have such a special relationship. Yeah, that's you know, the Matt Damon character. Yeah, Matt Damon character. Even though like most people hate him, like uh, like Oppenheimer really gets along with them, and they have this kind of back and forth that I think is just so exciting to see. And and you could have scored that in some that that scene when they their first meeting could have been scored in so many different ways. I wouldn't have thought about that depending on like what what kind of you know he's a general like but he has this kind of sweet <laughs> lush tonality to his uh to his character which i thought was uh which which is very interesting are you playing yourself on any part of the score mm, i mean i'm playing piano uh i'm playing um so the fender roads is you the fender roads the synthesizers I was I was just thinking if there's any guitar in the score, and uh, I don't think 
there is any guitar in there's might be a tiny tiny little bit of guitar um but also one thing there's there's not in the score is there there's no drums there's no there's no drums percussion in the score i wanted to ask about that because <laughs> i felt as as the as the score was was moving forward i felt that i was hearing a, a kind of drum or sound is yeah. are those percussive sounds that were being made by the strings and brass yes exactly the only the only type of percussive sounds is like there's a little bit of collegno on the on the on the strings there's that little me metal metallic ticking sound from, from which is generated from from the use of like nuclear instruments and and there's also some some kind of soundscapes which are made from nuclear reactor type drum moving energy sounds but there's no um there's no you know drums in the score no traditional is, timpani or anything like that timp no timpani no taikos no actiony drums no you know no big booms you know and and i think that's something i wasn't thinking about when i was writing it but i was thinking about that when i was watching the movie the other day i was like there's no drums in here and and i, I but i feel like thanks to that it it really highlights the the stomps you know the stomps or the feeling of the bomb, the, the sound design, it, it really comes out in a different way. Do you work closely with the sound people? I do. Um, you know, especially at the dub at the dub stage, we we are. I'm, I'm almost there every day when they're dubbing the movie, and and Chris and I don't we we don't stop until you know we finish the dub. And some of the last cues come to come to place in, in the dub, and and we're sitting there talking about you know leaving space for some sounds or, or whatnot, you know, we're, we're, it's every department, I feel like we're very closely together. You know, it's fascinating to me that throughout the film, the music is treated with the same respect as the dialogue and sound effects. Really all three are equally prominent. Is yeah. that unusual in your experience? I think so. I, I feel like the, I was, I saw this one, I saw the movie two days ago in London at the BFI and I was just, I came out, I was like, this, I mean, the sound is so spectacular. You can, even though you're saying that, like, but you can hear every element so clearly, anyways. Like the sound design, the music, the, the dialogue, the effects, like it's all, it's so, it feels so fresh to me. I have to ask about the recording sessions. Yeah. Because I hear strings in this score doing things that I haven't heard uh, maybe ever. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm wondering how experimental uh you might have gotten with 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 the traditional you know let's face it these the, the violin is an ancient instrument that mm -hmm. we're still hearing and being played but i think you're utilizing it in different ways uh and i'm wondering what the recording sessions were like yeah it was it was hectic it was it was a lot of music to record and i think i you talked a little bit about that experiment with the atom atoms swirling around and creating there was in that piece of music there's 21 tempo changes so I was worried that like I was I wasn't even thinking that we would be able to record that live. Um, I was thinking that we should we were going to record four bars at a time, four bars at a time, and then paste that piece that together, and then create create that music like that. But we had we had we did have a little bit of time, and and then Serena actually, she was like, I think we can do it in one take. Like the, these, like she was you know the, the, the uh, she played with that orchestra for twenty years. You know she knows how great the players are. And so the last day we came up with a different type of recording technique where we, we gave the musicians um, the tempo change before it happened on the paper. 
So they had a new click in their headphones before the, 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 the tempo change on the paper had happened. And thanks to that technique, we were able to create this two minute piece of music where it's just a staggering of crescendos and tempo changes throughout the whole piece of music. And, 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 and we got it in one take. You know, you've had the opportunity to work on large scale projects in television and in film, as well as the popular music field. So when you reflect back on the last five or six years of your journey in music, how do you see it? You know, I spend a lot of time into every project. You know, I, I like to be completely captivated with each and every project that I do. You know, I, I, tie, I take one thing at a time and I go all in on that. And I also try to approach every project like I'm learning, like I'm doing something for the first time. You know, I'm trying, I'm trying a different approach on everything, every project. And um, and it's it's very rewarding, you know, and I, that's why I love what I do because I've put a lot of time and effort into it, but I feel like I'm getting a lot back and I'm learning things. I'm learning, you know, as a composer and also personally, and I'm taking all that back and putting that in my in my in my toolbox for the next for the next project. And um, and it's been it's been a great it's been a great journey these last couple of years and i'm so I'm, I'm and i'm also working with these incredible collaborators that i also feel it's not going to do the same thing twice you know um they're constantly pushing cinema and so right now i don't <clears throat> i don't have a thing in the pipeline but um i'm gonna enjoy summer with my with my family and then you know just wait for the for the for the right thing to show up so how long were you on the oppenheimer project from start to finish uh i would say about nine months that's the longest you've ever spent on one project or did, or maybe tenant was the same. Yeah. No tenant was, I mean, that's the thing, like all, you know, tenant was really long, you know, black Panther, both black Panthers were, were big projects, tenant Oppenheimer. And also if, you know, coming up with the sound, the Mandalorian, the first season, building that sound world, that was, that was also a, a, like, if definitely like two features, you know? So if you had to summarize the Oppenheimer experience, what would you say? Um, I would say it was, it was, a it was a crazy experience. Uh, you know, it was a very intense, um, but also so rewarding and, and may, um, working on something that I think is going to, you know, create a conversation, creative discussion. You know, I'm, I'm, I show, I brought my parents out to the screening in London and we had a great talk afterwards and talking about things that I haven't talked to them before. And, you know, and hope and hopefully that that happened to a lot of people that sees the movie. And so I got to work with Serena on this to record her. And, and, you know, it's it's uh, it was it was a beautiful experience. And I'm, I'm so happy to be here and, and to um, to see this movie a couple more times. Well, thank you, Ludwig, it's for being with us today. It's always such a joy to talk with you. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. Many thanks to Ludwig for joining us for the podcast again, and thanks to John for conducting that excellent interview. And an extra special thanks to our friends at Universal for putting this conversation together. Be sure to check out Oppenheimer, now in theaters. You can find links to tickets, as always, in our show notes. If you'd like even more conversations with artists and filmmakers about how they use technology to tell their stories, please be sure you are subscribed to us, the Dolby Institute podcast. You can find links to our show on all the major podcasting platforms, including the video version on YouTube, in our show notes. Or you can simply search for Dolby, wherever you get your podcasts. 
And if you're curious to know more about the Dolby Institute, head on over to dolbyinstitute.com. There you'll find information about all of our programs. You can access the entire library of episodes of this podcast, and you can sign up for our mailing list. Until next time, thanks again for joining us. This is the Dolby Institute podcast. I'm your host, Glenn Kaiser. Our producer and editor is Michael Coleman. Our executive producers are Amanda Schneider and Jack Ferry, with additional editing by Matt Nixon. Thanks for joining us.